Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Uh, on today's show, Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com and myself will break down Florida's season-ending loss in the round of 32 to Michigan. And we will uh, spend about half an hour doing a uh, season-in-review, which um, will not include, you know, sort of broader roster construction and roster evaluation discussions we're going to do separate shows on the roster uh in the next week or so and and we'll get into some of the construction issues and talk about uh, the new players coming in and and recruiting and a variety of things but we want to thank you all for listening uh this season we we've had a good time even though uh this was a frustrating year in, in a lot of respects um so thank you and enjoy the show All right, everybody, it is Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and we are going to talk about uh, the end of Florida season, a 64-49 loss to Michigan yesterday in the second round of the NCAA tournament, second straight year where the Gators go out in the round of 32, although uh, this time with with quite less drama, really, if you, if you think about the way the last 10 minutes of the game went. Uh, Keontae Johnson had a dunk to get the Gators within five and, uh, Michigan pulled away from there. Your thoughts on the game, Eric? I mean, the fact that Florida was in it, I feel was, uh, was pretty impressive just because, uh, I just really think that Michigan is just so much further advanced in, in the stuff they run, um, just more veteran players, um, a, a, a lineup that is, um, a lot more conducive to, modern basketball and, and obviously just, you know, a healthy roster stayed all their guys. And uh, yeah, I thought that the, the fact that Florida kind of kept things interesting was, was good, but I mean, uh, you know, shooting 50% from the three point line in the first half kind of kept Florida into it. And you knew that that number wasn't going to hold and uh, you know, it didn't. So uh, yeah. you, you know, you kind of see that, that uh, once again, um, there's just, I think we just kind of got an accurate look at Florida season just, um, in that one game where it was uh, Jalen Hudson was, uh, was not efficient and missed a lot, missed a lot of shots and Kayvon Allen was scoreless for most of the basketball game. And uh, um, while Kavarius Hayes was, uh, was just, you know, he really competed defensively as he always does. Um, He did have some moments, you know, on the start to start the game, fumbles a pass out of bounds, uh, misses a layup. He probably should have hit. And uh, we just kind of saw, I would say a lot of, a lot of, uh, I would say last night was a pretty, uh, pretty indicative of, uh, of a Florida season, even in the sense that um, Florida shot two free throws. Um, that kind of just uh, also kind of shows that they just did not really pressure things um, on the inside. So uh, it, it's, it's interesting because I, as you mentioned, it's um, very different than their round of 32 loss last year. And uh, it, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it's any easier or worse or whatever, but the fact that I, I mean, I do think Michigan was, is the better basketball team and they executed a lot better. And for that reason, it wasn't close versus a game against Texas tech that I still think Florida probably, uh, probably should have won there um, last season. But, uh, but yeah, I'll say that um, I I would say that I did, that I kind of, I I thought it, I don't know if it was a, if saying it was a fitting end to the season is, is accurate. And I, I, cause it was, was depressing. So I don't want to say it was, you know, accurate, but um a lot of the problems that Florida had this season um, came out uh, came out in the open um, against Michigan. Yeah, I mean they really did, uh, and and I think you know that kind of um, was the story even more than maybe the fact that I thought Florida had a pretty good plan defensively against Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I uh, you even look at the way that that they were slowed for a lot of the game and. Um, uh, they actually forced a lot of uh, tough shots that ended up being offensive rebounds, even for uh, for Michigan as as well. But um, yeah, I thought that they uh, yeah they kind of uh, played pretty good in this in screen and roll defense. They had uh, they had just a few lapses though, and that's kind of when you're playing just high high level basketball. That's um, uh, that'll get you. So you look at the you look at um, you know fouling three point shooters on three different occasions. Um, that's yeah. like I, I I think that that's a pretty good indication of. Um, like if you're going to follow a three point shooter, it's because you're going to have a, a lazy slash bad closeout, either a bad closeout or a lazy closeout. Um, 
honestly, a lot of playing defense in basketball is closing out is, is being good at closeouts. If you, if you show me a good team or a team that's really good at closeouts, um, they're probably a really good basketball team. And um, yeah, Florida undisciplined um, fouled three, three point shooters, which is, uh, which is crazy. And then um, even just kind of at the end of the first half, um, you know, Noah Locke misses, uh, misses a rotation defensively that leads to a wide open three pointer for Michigan. Um, there's just a few lapses like that that, um, you know, aren't egregious. But again, when you're just playing that, the highest level of basketball um, against a really good team in Michigan, uh, you just can't you just can't be fouling three point shooters. You can't be missing closeouts. You can't be missing rotations. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of what led to uh, a bit of a lopsided loss. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's that's the point that needs to be emphasized is when you get to the round of 32, your margin for error is just so small. And uh, it's especially small when you haven't done the work you need to do to get yourself a seed to kind of expand your tournament margin for error. But even in that scenario, your margin for error is small. Uh, it's just really, really small when you're playing a two seed. Um, that's one of the best defensive teams in the country. And you know that you're going to have to win a game probably in the high fifties if you, if you want to have a chance to win. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about on the podcast before the game that Florida needed to defend with two feet. They really, both of us wrote previews where we were like, do not have bad closeouts, make them, you know, make them shoot jump shots where you defend with two feet and don't let them drive. And I think, you know, there's really no reason for Florida to have been contesting those threes that way that late anyway, when the whole game plan was, you know, those are shots you want Michigan to have to take. Um, it was a big deal that Poole's first one went in, I thought, because, like, he's kind of a Kayvon Allen type where <laughs> he can be really cold for a game or not. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I thought that was, you know, pretty crippling. And then in the second half, uh, you know, Florida did a good job of, getting Michigan going side to side a little bit defensively. So Florida had some good possessions in the first half. I thought where they get the defense going side to side and Nimhart would make the right play. Um, Andrew struggled a little bit in the second half, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And he put up some assist numbers that I thought were, were pretty impressive given the fact that uh, uh, just given the fact that yeah, Florida wasn't shooting the ball very well and it was against an elite defense. But uh, I thought that one thing that just kind of really summarized a lot of kind of Florida season um, and just some of the, uh, some of the limitations with Nemhard. And I mean, I do, I, I do say this as um, you know, someone who supports both of these players and, and one of them I think is going to, you know, and, and Nemhard I think is obviously a freshman and is going to get better, but uh, there's just a few times where um, they would kind of set a screen and roll with, uh, with Andrew Nemhard being the ball handler and Kamari Hayes being the, uh, the screen setter. And they would get a switch, and it would be Xavier Simpson down low guarding uh, Kavarius Hayes, and it would be uh, John Teske on the perimeter guarding Andrew Nemhart. And um, Nemhart never was able to attack that that kind of switch, never able to attack that mismatch because it's just not really in a skill set. And uh, they also really weren't able to throw it inside to Hayes to attack that mismatch. And I thought that that was kind of a bit of a indication of just some of uh, some of Florida's uh, kind of issues. But that's kind of the next next dimension of, of Andrew Nemhart's game is that. Um, he has to be able to, uh, um, he has to be able to get to create some offense for himself. And I think that he kind of got caught in the second half a few times, uh, driving into the paint, um, just kind of solely set on who am I going to pass the ball to and, and got himself into some tough situations where he, he left his feet and that turned into some, uh, turned into some turnovers. And, you know, those are plays that aren't great. I, I'm a little bit, well, I mean, they're bad plays. I, I guess I should be more accurate in saying. Um, it's bad to leave your feet without a plan and, and turn the ball over. But yeah, sympathetic a little bit to the fact that, uh, you know, he's trying to shoulder a pretty big offensive load himself on a, on a team that struggles to score. But, um, and once again, against a really, really good defender in, um, in Xavier Simpson and uh, a really good defensive team that was kind of, Hey, we're going to run Andrew Nemhart off the three point line, but then we're going to really uh, eliminate any kind of chances he has to score at the rim. Uh, yeah, they, I think they did a pretty good job against uh, against Nemhart there, especially in the second half. Yeah, I mean, look, um, I think I think one thing with and and you kind of just you know went right at it, but a big thing with Andrew is uh, you gotta he's he's got to figure out a way. There has to be something reliable for him, you know, at the basket, whether it's figuring out how to initiate contact more and, and get fouled. Um, or, you know, maybe, maybe it's a mid range jumper, the kind of, you know, shot that, uh, 
that uh, one of the Martin twins, whose name I'm <laughs> blanking on, is actually okay at hitting. Because um, there's got to be something just that stresses defenses a little more, where they can't just lop off and say we're just going to cut out the passing lanes because he's not, you know, as much of a scoring threat himself. And you know, when he hit a three in what was it in the first half, you know, Florida came down and I think hit a roller on the next possession, right? Because the defense had to extend a little bit and respect him. Um, and, and actually Michigan was able to get a couple nice baskets that way because Xavier Simpson hit an early three. So it doesn't have to be a lot in my opinion, but it's definitely the next step of progression for his game. Um, you know, as Eric said, well, I thought that you you made a really good good point about just the way that even Xavier Simpson, who's a guy that um, is not a great shooter at all, and he's also not a great finisher at the rim, uh, but he still just does you know just kind of enough that that he kind of forces um, defenses to collapse on him when he does get in the paint. Um, and I, I think that that it will be the next um, kind of the next uh, the next part of of Nemhart's game, the next development. I've, I mean, of course, you know Xavier Simpson's a junior, I mentioned Nemhart's a, a freshman, so uh, I, I do think Nemhart will get there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just think that, uh, once again, against an elite defense like Michigan and, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I, you know, I watch teams play Florida in the second half of the season and just more and more, I think I saw that teams were just so much more concerned with Andrew Nemhart than they were about Jalen Hudson or, or Kayvon Allen. And right. I just saw teams making so many adjustments to defend Andrew Nemhart and not as many adju- and adjustments to, uh, to Kayvon Allen and to Jalen Hudson, which really speaks to, um, how other teams view Florida's um, kind of attack. And I, I would say, again, watching how Michigan played, uh, they were really content to let Jalen Hudson go kind of one-on-one. Um, if he kind of did get a little bit of a step, they didn't, uh, uh, it didn't bother them too much. They kind of just played things straight up. But yeah, with, with Nemhart, um, when Nemhart got the basketball, they, they were funneling him towards, uh, towards help. Uh, they were kind of uh, taking away the spots on the floor he wanted to be in. I thought that it just showed um, a good bit of respect for, uh, for a freshman point guard. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida, you know, because there was some discussion, I thought, oddly from Kenny Smith about ball movement at halftime, and I didn't think Florida's ball movement in the first half was very bad. I thought Florida missed open shots uh, a few times, and and they, you know, otherwise they would have had even more assists. They had eight assists on their 11 makes. And then in the second half, now obviously the fact they only scored 21 points kind of accounts for this, but only added three more assists. Uh, in in the second half so in the first half way more assists than turnovers in the second half way more turnovers than assists and you know that's how you get from a four-point game to to a 15-point loss that's not really in doubt in the last five minutes I mean okay this is kind of my take Um, I feel like it's a little bit of like lazy analysis for for basketball but I feel like whenever a team just isn't scoring the ball super well it's just kind of default for someone for a color analyst to be like Oh, they just need to move the ball better because everyone's like, "Oh yeah, ball movement, like that's better <laughs> offense." So, uh, so I do think it's kind of one of those lazy things that um, that people say, where it's just like, "Oh, this team's in scoring; they're probably not moving the ball better." Or um, if, and, and then it's like uh, a little bit of like, "Oh, if you move the ball better, you would score better." And it's like, yeah, if if you know, if that was the case, every team would just be whipping the ball around this moment it touches their hand. <laughs> so, but boy. Well, so- but, yeah, go ahead. Yesterday, yeah, you know, yesterday it was just so funny because it's like that was Kenny's mistake, and then uh, they go, uh, you know, I switch over to the radio for a little, and like Mark Wise is talking about how Florida really got Michigan moving side to side and was moving the ball well. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, okay, so one people are just kind of I'm going to do my laconic, you know, TV analysis where I'm sort of half watching this game and the Florida State game, and then. <laughs> you know, the radio analysis where they're like at the gym and <laughs> see what's happening <laughs> on, on the floor. So I thought there was a little bit of that, but yeah, I mean, Michigan really adjusted. You could tell that their staff uh, made some really great adjustments and, and, you know, Florida um, didn't really <laughs> have an adjustment for those adjustments. Some of that, I think Eric's hinted at, you know, it's a lot of it is roster construction that, as the season went on, teams were really content to to say, we'll give Jalen Hudson and Kayvon Allen their low percentage jump shots, right? And I think um, the reason Florida was a little harder to defend late in the year is Nimhard progressed some, and he's got to progress more. And Kavari's Hayes was really good, right? So that's kind of – and Hudson hit more shots. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they went from 115th in offensive efficiency to finishing around 63rd, I think. So about a 50-spot improvement, but – um, by far the lowest 
or the least efficient offense White has had since since his first year. Yeah, um, just going back really quickly, just to um, just to kind of the note about like how bad was you know Florida's offense versus like was it not hitting shots? I'm actually planning on um, something I've kind of wanted to do, but it just takes like a, a, it's 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 a lot of effort. But uh, I'm, so I'm probably just going to do it because it was Florida's last game of the season. But I mean, something I've just talked about on this podcast a lot is expected shot value. So I'm actually going to go through and I'm going to chart the entire Michigan game out. And I'm going to use the I'm going to use shot charts that Synergy has that both has their kind of raw um, hay shot from this point on the floor um, percentages and also their guarded versus not guarded numbers. So I'm going to do expected shot value for every single shot Florida did. And I'm going to see if Florida's offense was actually better or worse than their kind of low point total indicated just because I am interested to, uh, and I know that's something I've just talked about a, a lot, a lot this year has been a kind of shot selection and expected shot value, just kind of what is a good shot or not, because I don't think you can look at a shot about whether it goes in or not. And, um, uh, as if it was a good or not. So anyways, I'm going to go do Florida's entire game by expected shot value and I'm going to see what happens. And I think a lot of it is going to be kind of, uh, um, yeah, it'll, it'll probably speak a lot to, um, just kind of Florida's offense, but, um, yeah. I, anyways, I, I, I totally forgot what you just said. Cause I was, I was thinking about it. Uh, I was thinking about when you were talking about just like, you know, no, how no, the two I, different things about the offense. So sorry, what was your last one? Well, I was saying that I didn't think Florida adjusted well to Michigan's oh. adjustment, but, but I also thought some of that is personnel related. Totally. Yeah. And that's a great point too. And I actually had that conversation with someone on Gator country in uh, this morning, just uh, going through the, uh, going through the forums. And um, that is one thing that I think that um, I do think it's a lot of kind of, it is a roster problem, but Florida really didn't have much variety this year on offense or defense. And I even look at it too. Uh, you know, obviously the one, three, one has kind of gotten a lot of, uh, got a lot of talk late in the season and and because it worked against Nevada, but I mean, as soon as the ball goes below the free throw line, it falls back to man. So, I, I know it lo- starts in that one through one look, but I mean, it is you're falling back into man defense, and those possessions are probably going to end um, with a shot being taken against Florida and their man. And um, it's a, it's a really good wrinkle, but it's not like Florida has these like change of pace, um, go to a two three or a three two zone for an extended period of time or. Um, I mean, I know we saw Florida play the, a, a lot of the kind of one, two, two press that kind of was more to take the ball out of people's hands, but it wasn't like a trapping press that really sped up the game or, you know, when Florida's down double digits late, they can try to get back into it. And yeah, Florida just wasn't able to make a lot of, um, a lot of changes. And then once again, you look at Michigan, who's got um, some really good front court pieces. They have um, a bevy of wings where Florida has not a lot of wings and it just allowed them to, to do a lot of different things. And I thought that that was also, um, yeah, just interesting to see a team with Charles Matthews and Isaiah livers and Jordan pool and um, these versatile wings that Florida just doesn't have and how that can just change to what you can do. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought that that was big and, and then Florida, you know, had, and, and like I, the other point I guess I made was that, uh, Florida's offense had improved in the second half of the year with more Princeton sets, but also because they had gotten more production out of Kavarius Hayes. And it was disappointing to see the Gators kind of abandoned going inside based on, I think, just getting spooked by some early turnovers. Yeah, and it's just interesting. And I, I, I honestly think – so, I, I mean, I don't know if Florida does this or not, so I should not say they don't. But I do think if, if there was someone on Florida uh, doing some of the analytics and charting out every single one of their possessions, I think you'd probably see that um, that going inside to Kavaris Hayes is probably a lot better shot and a lot better offense than um, a lot of the ones that just ended in a contested jump shot from uh, from one of the perimeter players. And uh, yet, and I, yeah, and like you said, they, he had a couple tough moments early, but also had some really good finishes on the inside and right. so get to Teske once and. And yeah, throwing the ball inside is just not, it's not just about like, okay, Kavarius, go one-on-one and, and score. It, it's about just changing the geometry of the court and making defenders have to move in and out just because of, and just, and, and like you mentioned talking about, or, you know, and Wise mentioning just moving the ball side to side. I mean, defenders having to shuffle their feet side to side, um, that certainly works and makes for some, uh, some bat, some closeout, some, or some opportunities to attack closeouts. But I mean, you need to make defenders backpedal. You've got to make them go back to a foot in the paint and then rush out closing out that way. 
Um, and, and there's just, there's an element of going inside or out that you just, you need to either have a guard driving the ball inside or a big man to throw the ball inside. I mean, obviously Kavari Hayes has taken a whole lot of heat for not being able to be an elite finisher on the inside, being able to post up one-on-one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also on the guards too. that need to be able to, uh, take a couple hard dribbles, um, force some help and get the ball moving. And uh, I agree with you that they abandoned going inside to Hayes a bit early. Yeah, no, I thought that was a mistake. And, and again, I mean, this gets back to the point. We've talked a lot about modern basketball on this show to kind of reject this idea that you necessarily need a back-to-the-basket post. But don't confuse that with the, the notion you don't need to go inside or at least have the capability of playing inside-out, right? Like, the idea is, is, is to put stress on defenses and to create space. And if you can get defenses, even really elite ones, moving side-to-side, and it, you know it creates it creates stress on them, and it eventually can create uh, seams that can that can make you you know better on offense and get you better looks. Well, I mean, yeah, look at John Tasky at Michigan. I mean, it's not like he just cooked the Gators by going one on one in the post and uh, doing a post move and dropping in a baby hook. Um, he had a couple <laughs> just great finishes, but the, but I mean, just the threat of the fact that he can do that was um, kind of made Florida adjust. The way that he could pass the ball made Florida adjust, and. Uh, yeah, he's a guy who's like, you know, a good finisher inside, a good post-up player, not an elite one. Um, he only had eight points, but, I mean, he really, really controlled things offensively when he was on the court. So I, I would say that's just another good uh, good indication of what a, a big can do within a really modern offense like Michigan runs. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, and I would say that, you know, that's, that's something we've got to, you know, get into and maybe even a really good transition point for – for our discussion is to kind of talk about uh, the season and review. And, you know, we're going to do like we, I think Eric and I said, we're going to do a couple shows on the roster and, and we will, um, you know, I think Florida's offense and some of this stuff overlaps with the roster discussion. I think, especially when we talk about Florida offensively, um, when we can't say enough that like they need players that stress defenses one-on-one and, for at least half a season, their best guy at doing that was basically unplayable. Right. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that's hard. Um, and you know, we talk about the, we will talk about the recruiting when we talk about the roster discussion too, but I think, um, in terms of concepts, Florida doesn't, didn't run Eric's made the point a couple of times. Florida doesn't run a ton of stuff, uh, or at least didn't this year. And I think that when I look back at this season, you know, one thing I'll say that I hope would improve next season would be just the diversity of things that they run on offense. Yeah. And I'll be interested to see with, um, with them trying just kind of getting a little bit of the Princeton offense in this year, if they go to a even more like more complex version of it next year, now that they've kind of got some of the, um, the building blocks in place, because uh, yeah, just kind of the one show we talked about the Princeton offense, um, Florida runs those concepts a little bit, but uh, there's just so much you can do out of the Princeton offense and uh, it opens up a whole lot of um, a whole lot of possibilities. So I'll be interested to see um, to see what they do there. And uh, and that that is something that I do hope with uh, just moving forward that I I do think I do hope that Florida gets um, gets better in kind of both. their just like continuity offenses, whether it's the whether it's something motiony or, or if it, it's within the Princeton and, and even just uh, just something that they can kind of go to in late game scenarios when they need a bucket, because uh, uh, that's something that Florida didn't do super well either is just, you know, when they really needed a score uh, to go to some kind of set that they're really confident in that can, that can get them a bucket. So that's uh, those are kind of just the two ways I, I would love to see them improve offensively. Um, both are, you know, difficult to do and, uh, that's why I think that's um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the get, I think the coaching offense is probably the toughest part of coaching. That's kind of my belief, and it's something that Coach White needs to improve on. But it's also something the players need to improve on. And um, players kind of just like Neil a little alluded to, if you can get players that can uh, get better at beating their man one on one, that just opens up everything you can do offensively, and it, it you can pressure the defense in different ways. So um, it, with a mix of what Coach White does, and also hopefully some skill development of players like Noah Locke and Andrew Emhart um, and the guys coming in. Uh, yeah. The offense will hopefully look different. And I, I think it will. Yeah. Look, I mean, um, it's not like, you know, one thing that I guess some of this is narrative driven. I mean, there's this narrative that they haven't played good offense at Florida. 
since White's been there, and it's just not true. They've had, uh, you know, a top 50 offense uh, when last year when they went to the second round and lost to Texas Tech, and certainly um, the Elite Eight team uh, was a top 25 offense. So they've been in that range twice. And what I would argue in one case is that uh, they kind of did it last year just because Chris Chioso is a masterful player who didn't turn the ball over, which helps your efficiency. Um, and, you know, Nimhart played well, but turned the ball over a little higher rate than, than Chris did, I think. Uh, but, but I would say, uh, and also Jalen hit more shots last year. So it really can be that simple, <laughs> that like 20 spot difference, a few more turnovers and a few more mid shots. Um, but the year they went to the Elite Eight, we talked about the threat of the post, right? I mean, just the ability to play inside out with Justin Leon sometimes. Uh, and certainly with John Igbunu for the bulk of the season, um, you know, made a huge difference. And it's one of the reasons that Eric and I have harped on this this idea when we talk about rosters that, you know, yeah, I mean, Florida should look at upgrading their front court, shouldn't they? I, th- I definitely think so. And uh, I just, again, like um, as much as you, uh, or not, you know, as much as people kind of think that um you know sometimes bigs aren't aren't important i mean if you just look at the teams right now at the uh the kind of top of the uh that are doing really well in in virginia and in gonzaga and michigan state and michigan and north carolina and kentucky and like you you look at all these teams that are at the top of college basketball and i mean like they've obviously got some good guards but pretty much all those teams have really really good bigs that they can play through and um, I do think that's really important. Just keep like, yeah, um, Florida State and Virginia Tech and LSU, like all, look at all these teams that remain in March Madness. A lot of them have really good bigs that they can play through. So um, that's somewhere that uh, just like many other people, uh, when it comes to the graduate transfer market, it'll be something that I, I think that they should look to address. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, recruiting too, potentially they try to bring in someone else, just like a, a kind of, true 2019 guy. I know Jason Jatobo is another guy that a lot of people have their eyes on to fill that uh, scholarship is uncommitted. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to help you a ton uh, next year, um, right. but potentially moving forward. But yeah, I do think I'm probably in the boat with a lot of people that's, uh, that's looking at a possible grad transfer as an opportunity to, uh, to get big, to get, um, to get better, a bit better at that spot. And um, one thing that, that kind of concerns me is I say, get a bit better at that spot is um, I, I mean, I actually do think it'll be tough to get, um, you, you know, I think Kavaris Hayes is very underrated as, um, you know, I think that you do too, Neil. And uh, uh, something we've talked about is just how good he's been. And I, I really think Florida is going to miss him. So um, finding some, uh, some production similar to him on the defensive end would be really challenging. Um, but if you can get something on the offensive end at that position, I mean, maybe that kind of makes up for it. But uh, it's for me, it's not even like, hey, let's uh, let's improve in that area. It's also like, Hey, we've got to, you know, we've got to get someone who's going to cover a lot of really, really good minutes that Kavaris Hayes gave. Yeah. And I think we're going to get into that, that chat, you know, in depth, like I said, a lot of this will overlap with our kind of look at Florida's roster. And we're going to get into that and how will Florida compensate for that loss. And I've got some ideas, but um, you know, Kavaris Hayes is kind of a great way to, to just start year in review. And I, I was trying to think of whether or not I wanted to start with like, who was this team's MVP or like, what were your final thoughts on the season? And a couple of people were like, you should end with thoughts on the season. So I was like, okay, we'll end on what our final <laughs> thoughts are. Kavarius Hayes is the MVP of this team. I, I, I honestly, like my hot take for the show is that it's not really that close. Um, and Andrew, Andrew Nimhard would be second. I honestly, uh, so I was thinking about an article, uh, just kind of thinking about who was who was Florida's MVP, and, and I'm between I'm between Nemhard and uh, and uh, and Hayes, and I think a lot of it too is that you have to look, um, you have to look kind of even just the fact of like um, who is better than kind of a replacement level college basketball player, and I mean I, I think some people would look at would look at Allen and think he would be the MVP. Um, I was also looking. Um, just by kind of box score, Ken Palm does a thing where they do a game MVP of, of every game. And, and uh, if you were to look at yeah. that, Kayvon Allen would be um, actually far and away Florida's MVP, which is huh. something that I, you know, I That's don't agree with. Yes. But I mean, a lot of that I think is the offensive counting stats and pure volume seems to be rewarded. Gotcha. That would be my, um, that would be my um, observation, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I'm not sh- I'm not actually sure if I would say Kavari says or Andrew Nemhart, but those, or, but I mean, those are my, like those are my top two. I'm not sh- quite sure 
who I would pick yet. So I'm, I'm, I love that you said Hayes, but I mean, what, what was this team best at? It was defense and who was the team's best defensive player. Um, it was Kamari Hayes by long shot in my opinion. And, um, I still, I, sorry, I know this is a little bit of like final thoughts, no. but I mean, I yeah. still think it is like absolutely crazy that Florida was such an elite defensive team with Andrew Nemhart, who's a freshman, who's not a plus athlete with Noah Locke, who's small, not a plus athlete. Um, Jalen Hudson, not a plus athlete. Um, Kayvon Allen, um, undersized. Uh, you just look at a lot of the pieces on the team and they, they Florida should not be an elite defensive team. And a big reason was, was why, why was because Kamari says, and Mike White, of course, but on the floor, it was Kamari says. So you look at like who far and away kind of embodied the, the best aspect of this Florida basketball team. I mean, it was Hayes. So um, yeah, I, I could certainly see him being the MVP. I would love to hear what listeners have to have to say about who they think the MVP of the season is, but um, yeah, to me, it's Kamari says, or it's, uh, or it's Andrew Nemhart. But um, as I talk my way through it, I, I'm starting to lean Hayes. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Eric touched on a lot of the reasons I think he was. We didn't talk about leadership. Um, and in my view, you know, we know that Kavarius called it – what we know is Kavarius has called a team meeting when they were 12 and 11. Um, and the season could have gone off the cliff. And, you know, instead it didn't. And, and Florida won eight of its last 13 games, including some really nice wins uh, and won an NCAA tournament game against a team full of future pros. Uh, so, I mean, I think I think the leadership aspect of it uh, is really important, too, and, and probably should be considered. Um, you know, I, the argument for Kayvon Allen, if we're making an argument for Kayvon Allen, because there's one in Kim Palm, I guess, would be. Kayvon Allen hit the huge shot against Ole Miss. Kayvon Allen had the massive overtime against uh, LSU. And, you know, Kayvon Allen was huge in, in wins over Arkansas twice that, that Florida really needed, um, as it turned out, to make the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, I guess you could, you could kind of make those claims for Kayvon too. But I thought it was interesting that, like, yesterday – Kayvon led Florida in scoring for 10 minutes of the game and didn't score the other 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, I just think it was like, there was, it was such a microcosm of Florida season to have um, Jalen Hudson hit a couple uh, tough threes, but also just kind of end shooting like 27% from the field and taking a lot <laughs> of bad shots. And, and also like you mentioned, having, having Kayvon Allen just not be a threat. Um, he didn't play as many minutes as I think a lot of people expected. And a lot of it was because I think that, yeah, Mike White liked um, when Noah Locke came in and, and hit some shots right away, he just became more of a threat than Kayvon Allen was. So um, yeah. And I, and obviously Kayvon Allen does provide some, uh, some, you know, solid defense. I do think um, I, I probably not like, I, I don't know if I think he's like an elite, elite, elite defender. I think he's like a really, really, really good defender though. Like, so uh uh, but I mean, he's definitely really good on. He's he's solid on that end. Um, but uh, but yeah, so there's definitely some of those big game performances, like you said. And I mean, it would be almost the. Uh, it was kind of interesting. And then the argument for Andrew Nemhard, I would say, is just that he was by far and away the most steady. Um, Mr. Kind of consistent, right? Even Mr. though, consistent. and even even though he did have some games where he turned the ball over a lot. Like I mean, again, I look at his four turnovers against Michigan, um, and I'm you know that's that number's high. But I mean, I also look at eight assists against a, against a team that's an elite defense and. Um, like a lot of those assists he just created out of nothing. So, you know what? I'd like to see that assist ratio a hair better. Sure. But also eight assists to four turnovers is not horrendous. So right. um, I, I do actually think that, that Nemhart was just so steady and, and consistent. And um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that on a team where it didn't have a lot of other consistent players. The fact that he could be consistent while having, regularly games where Jalen Hudson and, and Kayvon Allen beside him and, and even Noah Locke due to his injury um, were really inconsistent. Um, yeah. I, I think that it's really special for Nemhart. So um, yeah, there's a, there's probably, I think those would be the only guys anyone would, uh, anyone would say for MVP for Florida. But um, I think my ranking would be probably Hayes. Oh, no, it's so tough. I'm still maybe thinking Nemhart, but it's, it's one, two for those guys. Um, Allen three for me. And yeah, I'd be interested by uh, by what people think here. Maybe we should, uh, yeah, we might have to open this up for some people yeah, to tweet at yeah, us I mean, and let us know. I'm really interested. We could throw it to the people. I, you know, I, I would say um, that that it's a good discussion, and I certainly don't think that you know, with without 
take away Nimhart or Hayes, and this team has no chance of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, take away Kayvon Allen, and I don't know. Like, probably not either. But <laughs> right. uh, quite honestly, because because we, we we have you know the the consistent back and forth of the season has been here's some bad plays Kaylin Allen made, and then me saying, but it's defense, right? <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I mean, look, that's those three guys. I think are easily the most important players that Florida Florida had this season, and two of them are going to be gone. Um, in terms of what were some other ones, people most disappointing. Um, game that people brought that up to me and this is such a cop-out but like i'm gonna say florida state just because like i didn't love the idea of i guess i talked myself into liking the idea of scheduling it as a season opener but the more and i know hindsight is really easy right for anybody but the more i think about it objectively or try to think about it objectively i just think it was a terrible idea to play them first uh and on the road and like i can see why leonard hamilton was eager to do it (laughs) <laughs> and Mike, you know, I don't know why Mike White and Florida did it. Uh, I hope that game is later in the season next year, even if it's like late November again. Um, that Florida really laid an egg, and it just seemed like such a sour way to start the season. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, honestly, like I, I really thought that Florida State was going to be really good to start the season. And I honestly maybe – and I, I mean, I say this like <laughs> – just as like the the maybeest of maybe, but I do wonder if Florida kind of knew like, hey, Florida State is going to be incredible. Let's see if we can catch them on the first night of the season because that's when teams are not playing their best basketball. It obviously totally backfired, but there is part. <laughs> but there, there's part of me that sometimes like, yeah, if you can play, uh, if you can play a team on the first night of the season, like, uh, like I mean, let's look at like. Uh, Duke and Kentucky obviously Duke turns out to be a really good team but on the first night of the of college basketball season they absolutely hammer Kentucky and if that game happens later in the non-conference season I, I think it could be different so um, I do wonder if there was like hey maybe we can catch Florida State on uh, uh, but anyways I do think that that was a really good a really good choice by you I thought that um, I thought Michigan State was obviously really disappointing as, as well I thought that was great by you um, my answer was actually going to be when Florida played Kentucky um, the first time and uh, blew that second point or that second half yeah, lead. A good one. And I'll say that because one, like that particular game was super deflating. And also like it, that game left me similarly deflated, not quite as deflated as after that opening night loss to Florida state, maybe similar to the Michigan state game. Um, but what was so disappointing about that Florida game was um, they go out and get embarrassed in their next game against Auburn and then have a tough loss to Tennessee right after that. Um, so, uh, that's, is like a dis and I mean, Kentucky, Auburn, Tennessee, I mean, those are really good basketball teams, um, obviously. So it's not like, oh, Florida should have done so much better, but I mean, if, if they don't blow that second half double digit lead against Kentucky, you know, they, I think that they probably don't get embarrassed in the next game against Auburn. And, and then maybe in turn, they don't get kind of embarrassed a little bit by Tennessee. So, uh, it's, it's very actually unfortunate that there's three games that we could all say is the very disappointing. And even if, I mean, add in the Georgia loss, add in the South Carolina loss, um, whatever. I mean, add in the, add in the Oklahoma loss, because I mean, you and me talked about how much different the battle for Atlantis would have shaped up if Florida could have won that first game. So um, the fact that there are some options is, is pretty tough um, to look at Mississippi state where Florida loses on a really bad last possession. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of options for disappointing, but uh, well, yeah, and, and neither of us have even brought up, you know, what objectively was the worst loss of the season, which is a home loss to Georgia to open March. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that is a really good one. Um, so yeah, deep sigh. <laughs> yeah, this is, that was a depressing question, but um, yeah. Anyways, my long winded answer is I, I think I'll say the Kentucky game while also suggesting that there's a lot of answers that could be said and would be, it would be right, I guess. Yeah, it's an unfortunate result of being 20 and 16. More on that in my final thoughts. Um, <laughs> the best win uh, for me, you know, it's the LSU win in the SEC tournament that gets Florida in. You know, I, I've seen this, like, trend from the Hive. Jason Kessler is, like, leading the Hive now, and I know Jason listens, so that one's for you, buddy. Um, but, you know, I think some people try to diminish it by saying that it was Tony Bankford, and, okay, I guess you can do that if you want. I mean, it's not – Mike White's fault that they had an interim coach. Um, but, you know, just given the stakes for Florida to win that game, uh, I thought was really good. And I also thought 
you know, you saw on the LSU's faces throughout the game, like how much it meant to them to win and, and to, to deny them that was really excellent. Yeah. I mean, obviously I, I think that that's by far and away Florida's biggest win. Uh, maybe the next one would be Nevada um, just because there wasn't a lot of awesome wins throughout the season. Team and, full of pros. Right. So, so I'll say, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I, I don't think you can argue that, that the LSU win in the NC or in the SEC turn was the biggest. So I, I'll say that one. And then um, a, a step down would be probably the win against Nevada. Cause it still felt good. You know, whenever you're a lower seed getting that kind of win against, especially when you're so heavily favored against by, you know, so many people that were picking the game um, felt good. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's got to be that LSU game. So, um, you know, so that's kind of best win, worst loss, uh, you know, best performance for me, uh, Jalen Hudson on senior night, <laughs> I think uh, is, is one that I would certainly consider. Um, Keontae Johnson, the whole SEC tournament also probably works. Uh, but my winner is actually going to be Andrew Nimhard versus a bunch of pros in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That's a really good answer. I, I mean, I was, yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, about that Jalen Hudson performance, I mean, he put up some points, but uh, he also Anytime lost a lot of possessions. 20 for... points in a row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was definitely the most impressive kind of offensive stretch, but he had some bad runs within that game. And, um, yeah, I, I, I and I do think that um, yeah, I think that Andrew Nemhart's against Nevada was was awesome. Um, you factor in the defense he had to play in addition to just how hard he had to work offensively. Um, that's a really good one. And I was kind of trying to think about what would be the um, the single Keontae Johnson performance that I thought was biggest, and I couldn't quite come up with one game now that you guys got as you were speaking. Um, but yeah, I think that the Nemhart's against Nevada is a very good answer, um, and it's one that that I really like too because. Um, there's obviously some counting stats that looked really good, but there's also um, uh, a lot of the kind of intangibles, whether it be the defense, whether it be the the contact he played through, um, that just showed a, a very good individual individual performance. Yeah, no, I would agree. And one I should mention is is Kayvon Allen at LSU because sometimes great performances, you know, I coach and Eric coaches, and sometimes great performances come from players who have to find a game a little bit. And, you know, Kayvon – was really quiet in that game, obviously didn't score in the first half and, you know, came out, hit a three to start the second half and then just played tremendous defense um, against a faster player. A lot of the time when, when they'd get him on Tremont waters and, uh, you know, obviously made all the shots that Florida needed to get that road win that kept them on the bubble for so long. (laughs) Uh, You you know what? This wasn't like a marquee win too, but 31 points for Kayvon Allen against Texas A&M. Um, in a game that like was one of those games that if Florida lost would have been yeah, the pretty was, awful. Yeah. So, so I mean, and that was one uh, that was, you know, where Kayvon Allen went eight for 10 from the three point line. So uh, uh, yeah, I would say that that might actually be uh, kind of my, though the, the stakes were not as high as, as, uh, as the one you mentioned with Kayvon Allen. Um, yeah. His eight for 10 from the three point line uh, against Texas A&M was, was pretty special. Sure, as was Cavarius Hayes' uh, game against Nevada. So I think we've, we've kind of covered, uh, you know, a lot of the ones that, that are worthy of consideration. I'm sure on the fly we, we may have forgotten one or two, but um, that's kind of where, where that discussion is. So I wanted to let Eric start with kind of his final thoughts on, on a 20-16 and 16 season. A couple numbers before we, we hear Eric's uh, final thoughts would be, uh, obviously, the third straight NCAA tournament appearance for Florida. Only Kentucky has done that in the SEC. Third straight season where Florida won an NCAA tournament game. Only 10 Division One programs have done that. And, of course, only Kentucky in the SEC. Um, so, you know, kind of frames things a little bit for you. Uh, you know, obviously, at the same time, the 16 losses is the most since Billy Donovan's final season when the Gators had a losing record. Um, and... Uh, the Gators did get to 20 wins by beating Nevada. So they kind of extend that. But I think anybody like objectively looking at this season has to say, you know, it wasn't a, a great season. No, I, I don't think so. And uh, you know what? If Florida, Florida had some things go wrong, <laughs> obviously from injuries um, to just their seniors, just not 
progressing in a way that you would you would expect them to um and you know what obviously they they went still got to the ncaa tournament and uh, and won a game and i think that when you kind of look at how recruiting is going um i do think things are obviously looking looking quite up so i mean if this is the worst season of florida basketball for the next few years i mean hey they still got to the ncaa tournament and won a game so right, i think that that's should... <laughs> yeah so uh, I do think that's kind of something that, that should be noted was just like, like, I know so many people are, I mean, I mean, I know so many other, so many people are like uh, just kind of looking at how negative this season was, but I mean, you know, before the season, um, a couple podcasts when they kind of had me on to talk about Florida basketball, they said, um, where do you think the team's going to be? Um, what do you, what are your expectations? And just kind of my full disclosure was like, well, they made a round of 32 last year. Um they they played Texas Tech within one possession, and if they the game you know the ball bounces differently, they're in a Sweet Sixteen team, and I think that this team is better than that team. So I think that this is a Sweet Sixteen basketball team, um, and you know what? They obviously got hammered pretty good in the round of thirty two, but uh, they had a lot of things go wrong. So I mean, if you are if Florida is totally healthy this year and get slightly better production from Kayvon Allen or Jalen Hudson. I mean, this is a team that probably competes to go to a sweet 16. So I, I just don't feel like things were, were that kind of the fact that things were not that far off in the end, given how bad things were looking at the time of the season. Um, yeah. It shows me that it shows me that, the, the, that these guys can fight and, and coach white. Like uh, once again, you look at how I kind of feel like he had two must win games in the sec tournament and Florida won both. And then obviously Florida went into the NCAA tournament where it was, um, they needed to win every game. They won one. They lost one. So I see Florida being three and one in do or die games this year. And uh, I think there's something to be said about that. So, um, yeah, final thoughts are just I hope that um, I hope that there's some things learned from this uh, this season in terms of uh, um, for kind of Coach White. I hope that he continues to learn, learn offensively um, what kind of works in the SEC, what works at the highest level. Um, I hope that obviously Andrew Nemhart and, and Noah Locke and Keontae Johnson and the returning guys um yeah i hope that this was a learning experience for them with all the minutes they got to play and uh yeah i don't know i still am i i it's weird still don't feel like the season's over even though it's over so i'm having a little yeah. a little trouble uh putting all my thoughts together of kind of the final thoughts um but there's just kind no, of some I mean, things at the top of my head <laughs> i like it i mean look the the end of basketball season is always the end of college basketball season is always hard for me um and uh think a lot of it a lot of it you know emotionally takes a little while for me um it's like that when my season ends and it's like that when college season ends and and um it's been even more cool because i've been able to do the show and and you know we're going to keep going in the off season but uh certainly you know eric it's it's been uh, a privilege to do that this year with with you and i'm glad that people have enjoyed it what i'll say about this season kind of my final thought is uh yeah, I mean, look, some things went wrong. There was some adversity. You certainly lost at least one player who was expected to be a core part of your team, regardless of how he was playing when he got hurt. And, you know, it's a shame he had a great half before he got hurt because you kind of wonder if he was going to get on track. Um, but the Keith Stone injury, I think, was was disappointing. Uh, I said at the beginning of the season in November, I didn't know what Florida would get from Gorshak Gak. Uh, they didn't get anything, as it turned out. Um <laughs> We all thought after, you know, inside the program, everybody talked about Chase Johnson having a great summer, right? And he was gone by December. Uh, so I think, you know, that was frustrating. But the biggest, I'd say the most frustrating thing for me is, is you know, you could look at it two ways. One, you could say they were 12 and 11 and they, they fought their butts off and got 20 wins and, and won a tournament game against a bunch of pros. Um, alternatively, you know, you could say they lost 16 games and, and they lost six games at home. Um, and one of those was that Kentucky game Eric talked about, which they really should have won. They were up 12 with 10 minutes to go and really had Kentucky on the ropes uh, and just didn't execute on either side of the floor. Um, and then, you know, Tennessee, I mean, they lead with four minutes to go at home. They don't get it done. Uh, South Carolina, refs or no, they were up 14, never should have put themselves in a position to let officials decide the game. Uh, and we didn't talk about officials yesterday, so we have to circle back, sadly. <laughs> but um, And then the Georgia loss. So I, I just think home losses, great teams protect their home floor. And that's a big part of culture. And for me, 
you know, because everybody's, ah, oh, he's just going to defend Mike White blindly. And, like, I think that's a big part of Florida's culture that has to be improved. And, I, you know, I wanted that to be my final thought because I think Florida will make it a point of emphasis to defend their home floor next year. I really think that the coaches are well aware of that too. Um, but, you know, seating matters. And so you get in these games against John Beelines of the world in the second round because you do little things like that, right? So that would kind of be my thought on it, in addition to just saying thank you to Eric for, for doing Florida basketball hour. Now let's, let's circle back. Unless Eric had some comments about my comments. Um, let's <laughs> I, 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 could ju- I could jump in two first before we go to fishing. Yeah, I'll just say, well, I mean, I mean you, I've got to thank you, Neil, just because I missed my opportunity there. But uh, I'll just <laughs> say this. Neil, Neil's probably not going to be happy, but I'll say it anyways. So, I mean, for anyone who's listening to this, like Neil does all the work. Like I just, <laughs> I, yeah, I just know when we record. And uh, uh, so Neil does everything else with the podcast, all the social media, all the editing of the podcast. Um, everything that literally goes into it. I just know when we record and, uh, and we hit play and I talk. So, uh, so Neil, I really appreciate everything you've done to, uh, to get this going. And I mean, uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. I mean that really, really genuinely. Yeah, I just, um, I don't know if it's like one of my, like one of my like insecurities is just, I feel like every article I write, I'm like, man, I wonder if like anyone's going to read this. And like, truly, I mean, like, <laughs> like, I'm like, I like, I literally wonder if like zero people are going to read this or and every time I do a podcast on anyone's podcast, I'm always like, hey, like, I just like, well, I wonder if any single person in the world will like take their time to, to listen to, to me and Neil talk Florida basketball. So uh, the <laughs> fact that you guys do it and, and interact, it actually means the world to me. So uh, thank you very much. And I mean, I, I, as Neil mentioned, I think we're going to just keep, keep grinding out episodes in the off season here. I mean, I think we'll both talk Florida basketball as long as people want to listen. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to get that out there and uh yeah, let's talk about Nevada fish, or sorry, about Michigan officiating. Yeah, so I mean, I think um, the Thordo love criticism, and, and Thordo is one of those guys that is is a longtime listener and a great dude, and uh, and you know, not the biggest white guy, not the biggest supporter of coach, um, but I think I think he wants what's best for the program. And one criticism that resonates with me a little bit, uh, and and I'll, I'll share some insight that, you know, I think there are some in the program that, that agree with it is that coach can sometimes be a little too timid with officials. I thought Florida got fouled on a couple three point jump shots yesterday. I really do. Um, and if they were going to call bad closeouts on Florida, they needed to call those on Michigan. And I thought Mike was a little too nice. So I was kind of interested in Eric's thoughts on that. I also thought Hayes got hammered on the first play of the game. Um, and I know you don't light up an official on the first play of the game, but maybe you do when you're playing a two seed. Yeah, I mean, I thought Xavier Simpson was all over Andrew Nemhart. That's both, another one. both sides of the. That was the one that was the worst to me. Tremont I mean, Watersing of Nimhard. Right, <laughs> and I mean the fact that um, the fact that uh, you know, obviously on a on a uh, in a game where you call um, when you call three fouls on Florida for fouling jump shooters, which full disclosure, I mean, I think that those are all. Legit, very legitimate fouls. I thought those were bad closeouts, and Florida fouled them. They were, um, but they were. Um, and I, I but, said that too. Sorry. But yeah, oh yeah, and I'm not suggesting you didn't think that. But I mean, it definitely amplified when, um, you know, when someone gets hit uh, on Florida's side that on a three point shot. You're like, hey, I think maybe they got fouled. I mean, Jalen Hudson, the way he just flails his legs out is going to make it difficult for a floor for an official to call that foul, just because I think they don't want to like bail him out, and just the act of having your feet fly out like that, I think honestly makes it difficult for them to tell, Hey, who initiated that contact. So, um, but yeah, I, I really, the, to me, the most annoying thing was, um, was definitely Andrew Nemhart being hung off of by, by, by Xavier Simpson. Um, I decided to make a slightly, just slightly more mature move than I did after the, uh, after the Auburn, um, uh, SEC tournament game where I look at, I did, I decided not to tweet out, um, the, uh, the, uh, ref stats that I found about the officials. Um, <laughs> yeah, but one of the, one of them was an SEC ref that's had Florida a bunch of times. Um, the other two hadn't refed a single SEC game all season long. They were Big Ten refs that, um, yeah, that that uh, stayed in that side of the country and ref that style of basketball. I do think there is a distinct difference in in style of play between the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, Big Ten looks a lot more like football a lot of the time, and that's how Michigan plays, and that's how the game was officiated. And the fact that there was one SEC official and uh, two officials that primarily uh, ref Big Ten basketball. Um, I did not think that was in Florida's favor. I do not, you know, <clears throat> I'm not sure how many points that would have made up for Florida, but I mean, 
while the game was still close, there was a lot of calls that did not go in Florida's fashion. And I mean, um, if those go in Florida's way, uh, maybe the game, you know, has a little bit of a different tone, but I, I, I do not think the game was officiated well. Um, circling back to the initial question about what coach white does. Uh, that's a really challenging one for me, truthfully, uh, just because I know it's tough to kind of quantify what does laying into the refs, you know, do and, and not do. Right. I know a lot of it is like, Hey, do you do it to fire up your players? Um, the crowd, whatever. Um, I, I would, I would just kind of venture to say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with what white does. Um, kind of the way that he, uh, I mean, again, I look at John Beeline, <laughs> obviously a lot, a lot more years of coaching under his belt than Mike White. Um, Beeline doesn't get into the officials that much either, Not really, um, but no. he's just extremely, but he is extremely um, respected because he's been in college basketball for a long time because he's won a lot of games. Um, I, I kind of hope that that's kind of what happens with Mike White, where he, you know, makes a few tournaments in a row, wins some games. Um, if he's got the calm demeanor, um, I, I, like, I think, I think you see, again, you see a game like last night. Um, I think that's the ultimate kind of situation with the officials where John Beeline is so respected by the refs and uh, that he doesn't need to get into them and they still get the benefit of the whistle. That's kind of my like dream. What, what that means for Florida in the short term and Mike White in the short term, I'm not totally sure, but um, you know what? Like I, I could see why some, there's some times where you're just like, you see the officiating, you just like cannot believe it. And, and you think like, Hey, if, if, if White just berates this guy, um, maybe that changes things. Um, you see that, you know, in an NCAA tournament setting like that, do you think he's going to tee up white? Um, maybe not. Maybe he should have. So, so maybe he should have given more. Um, uh, right. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It is a tough one for me because I, something like that, that's just like hard to quantify. Uh, like how much does yelling at the ref help your cause? Um, that's tough for me. Who's a little bit more analytic minded, uh, but yeah. I can certainly see, I can certainly see why someone wouldn't love it. Well, look, I mean, I don't, what, here's what I'll say about it. Because I'm with you, you know, I think there's a time and place for it. And I thought yesterday was unbalanced enough where there, where there was maybe a time and place. Um, that said, you know, as I've, and we talked about this before, I just don't, the, the using it to, to question White's competitiveness is weird to me. It's um, just false. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I mean <laughs> there's just, uh, there's just not really any evidence that he's not a competitive dude that, that really, really wants to win. And in fact, you know, um, I know Eric talks to some people in the program and I can tell you that their, their Sunday managers games, like coach gets really mad when they lose. Oh yes. (laughs) Like, like furious. So, uh, you know, he's, he's a competitive dude. Um, and, and that's why I think, 20 and 16 this year with six home L's is going to rub him the wrong way. I'm sure. And, well, uh, I think, I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's going to be very happy with the season. And that's something that, you know, you know, we're kind of talking like, Oh, what do you think? What do you, what do I think about the season? What it, whatever. I, I mean, we never really even talked about what do you think the the team felt? And I, I think this has got to really sting the team. I think, um, yeah, I, I don't think coach white is going to be happy about this year. And, um, yeah, I'll just reiterate. I know we've just said it over and over again. Like, Coach White is extremely competitive, and I, I just don't agree with the fact that screaming and berating officials is the measure of how competitive you are. <laughs> um, I think that the fact that he works so hard in recruiting and the fact that he works so hard in his prep in the way that, like, like there's like, like that's how you manifest competitiveness to me. Like, it's not just like your fire in the heat of the moment. It's hey, I'm a fiery competitor, so I'm going to put in the work. Um, for the days leading up to this game and, and, and kind of channel that competitiveness other ways. So, yeah, I just like. Right. I'm going to limit, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to limit jazz Johnson to, to two jump shots in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Cause there's no way in hell that guy's beating me. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to deny ball reversals to Isaiah Joe in the first round of the SEC tournament every single time. Cause there's no way in hell that guy's beating me unless he just hits a bunch of bad shots that's kind of competitiveness to a coach in my opinion. It's totally true. And I mean, that's even the way, I don't know what you're like when you coach your high school team, but I'm kind of the same way with the high school team. I coach, like I'm not, I'm not a screamer on the sideline. Um, my, no. com- my competitiveness comes from the fact that I'm going to break down film harder than any other coach in my league. And I'm going to be more prepared than them. And I'm going to put in those hours because that's how I, and it's the competitive fire that like leads me to want to spend that time. It's not like ugh, my competitive fire. Isn't just like, 
hey, let's go berate this part-time official. So I feel like <laughs> Coach White is the same way where his competitiveness is um, not channeled towards just like showing anger for the sake of showing anger. And, and I'm totally okay with it. So yeah, I just, I just, again, just for the like hundredth time, I just would, if you're some, whether you're a Mike White believer or a hater, or whatever, um, I would just say, yeah, his, his competitiveness should, should not be questioned. <laughs> so, so Florida ends 20 and 16 uh, in, in the round of 32 again, second year in a row. Uh, we will be back um, later in the week. We're going to do a, a show i guess we'll start a roster show and eric and i i'd love to tell you we have like a clue of how we're going to do that but honestly eric and i haven't even talked about how we want to break that down yet um so we're going to figure that out and then we'll come back and, and do some of that um you know maybe we'll just do it front court back court something that simple and and kind of figure it out but but uh, we'll start you know we'll get into the personnel and you know, I think when you talk roster construction, you get closer to some of the criticisms of the state of the program that that I think are a little more fair. Um, and, and hopefully we can put on a show and, and present both sides of those to you. So thanks again for listening. Don't forget to read Eric at Gator Country. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, guys. All right, bye-bye.